Hello, I'm Jeff Hawley, Yamaha Wind Instruments Product Manager. Welcome to our latest podcast featuring Los Angeles freelance tuba studio legend, Jim Self. Since 1974, Jim has worked for all the major Hollywood studios, performing for over 1,300 motion pictures and hundreds of television shows and records. His solos in major films include John Williams' scores to Jurassic Park, Home Alone, and Hook. Jim was also the voice of the mothership from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Recent films include Troy, Robots, Lemony Snicket, The Legend of Zorro, War of the Worlds, King Kong, Firewall, and Eight Below. Jim has also released numerous solo classical and jazz tuba albums. For more info on Jim's solo work, including the tracks that you hear during this podcast, please check out www.jimself.com or www.bassetthoundmusic.com. Join Yamaha Wind Instrument Marketing Manager, Kurt Witt, as he speaks with Jim about his extensive studio background, his latest album, and his thoughts on music. Also make sure to check out the last portion of this podcast, which features an exclusive jazz fluba performance recorded live at Bassett Hall, accompanied by Kurt Witt on piano. Tell, tell me about, Jim, what has changed the most in playing the tuba in the last 30 years of your career? Uh, it's probably more, I'd like to say more like 40 years the change happened, the big change. And there was a, a what I call an old-time kind of tuba player. He didn't play with a lot of technique. He didn't play with high notes and real low notes. He didn't have the sophisticated five-valve instruments and so on. And then there was a big explosion in the 50s, brought on by Harvey Phillips and Bill Bell, a few people like that. They just became great players. Tommy Johnson here in Los Angeles, uh, a short bit later. They were like virtuoso players, and they played. Uh, and pretty soon there were brass quintets and every college, just like the New York Brass Quintet. Then there was a huge explosion of tuba playing and everywhere, there's tuba teachers everywhere. And it's, of course, the orchestras and there's a big interest in it. And too, way too many good players around for the jobs. But the guys like Roger Bobo and Harvey Phillips and others really changed the technique of the instrument. It became virtuosic in every sense of the word. And uh, that happened in, during my career. I watched it happen. I got in just before the stuff started exploding, or maybe it was just starting to, with Roger and Harvey Phillips. But boy, it, everybody just picked up on it after that. There's been many great soloists and many great uh, uh, just people that have sort of become tubaholics like me, I guess. So you're saying that the tuba really moved from the the background to the foreground during that time period. Oh, absolutely. In fact, many people, many even other brass players will tell you that the tuba is the most interesting solo instrument that being played of, of, of all the brass instruments. And the music is more interesting. It's not so hidebound in old music, like every trumpet player has to play Haydn. Uh, we don't have a Haydn. You know, we have to play a transcription or something. <laughs> tell your your career of, of being a studio musician is something that a lot of players think is extremely glamorous and and probably very difficult what what's the best thing about being a studio musician 
certainly not being glamorous. That I, I never that word would never come to my mind. Uh, I, a lot of people think that it's a, a big deal to meet some famous person, a movie star, say, because they're just because they're famous. We do see people like that. I, they're not my personal friends, but I see them all the time. And you work in this environment. Yeah, anybody that's you know high, highly regarded professional should be working with other highly regarded professionals, whether they're actors or directors or or composers, you know. And uh, so it's it's a it's it's heady on that level because I yes I get to work for John Williams who is. Who is a the 900-pound gorilla in L.A.? You know, I mean, he's great. He's amazing, and highly respected. Which which recording or movie soundtrack that you've done during your career is are you most proud of? It, it, it's so hard to say. I mean, I'm, I guess I have a reputation for close encounters of the third kind, but it was just one day's work. The other days I worked on it, I was second tube to Tommy Johnson, one of the scoring sessions. But the one solo con the call it the conversation was a just a surprise thing. It was also one of the you know, it, it would just happen. I got a call and then be there the next day. Tommy was would have been called first, but he was in vacation in Hawaii. So they did it and we came out of there and it was they they made another version of it later but it didn't wasn't used because John Williams told me that. Anyway, you can hear the instruments when I'm playing. It's with contrabassoon and tuba, the conversation. People think it's solo tuba. It's not. Unison, contrabassoon, and tuba. So those... That's those, an inside story. Those five notes, you know, in a sense, or five, five quarter notes, some of your most visible work, and perhaps relatively simple to play. Yes. And, uh, but it's... The idea that... I mean, I... I I'm caught up in this, don't get me wrong. I had nothing to do with making it happen. I'm just part of the process that John Williams and Steven Spielberg created. And one of the things, and it's so hip if you think about it, and that is to communicate with aliens by music. What a peaceful, intelligent thing to do. If they're out there, wouldn't it be great to make music with them first? And that's the whole idea of that movie. And... Uh, not done with how many people picked up on that. The, uh, when you went in to do this session and you saw this solo for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, did you have any idea what it related to in the movie or what it, what it meant in the storyline? Absolutely nothing. Uh, he probably, he may have told us some perfunctory little things, but uh, there were just four musicians there and, uh, and him and maybe a contractor. But <laughs> we just played this tough music, you know, and we did some variations of it and, and, and different things. And the next thing I know, it was part of the movie, important part of the movie. Most of your work is done primarily on how many instruments? When you show up to a session, how many tubas are you bringing? Uh, recent years, I've always take, always have, usually have three tubas in my, I have a truck, have to. Usually I have three tubas. I have a, an F tuba, my Yamaha A22. I have my great big C tuba, uh, Monica. <laughs> and I have a, a four-quarter Yamaha also, which is a medium-sized C tuba. And I use that a lot in the studios. But I'm going to say that's not all I have. I, in my truck, I always have a, a chimbasso, sometimes two chimbassos, a high one and a low one. 
and a bass trombone and mutes for everything. What are some of your favorite musical experiences in life? I've had some of my most sublime musical moments playing jazz. Uh, I really do move into a different place as a musician when I play jazz and uh, with great players. I've had an opportunity. Uh, I've had a lot of good studio calls, you know, and uh, a lot of interesting movie music I've played, interesting solos, and some of them have been nerve-wracking, scary. Some of the James Horner things, he writes way up above the bass staff, you know, all the time, and it's scary. You're hanging right out there with the whole orchestra sitting around. Scary. But I've been fairly successful at it, so not perfect, but, but certainly, uh, Good enough, I guess, to keep getting called. And so this, I, I, I had an experience when I was new in town. Roger Bobo and Tommy Johnson were playing uh, Rite of Spring with the LA Philharmonic at the Music Center uh, with uh, Zubin Maida conducting. And I was quite new in town, maybe a year or so. And 12 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, I get a call from the Philharmonic that they needed me to sub for Roger at a two o'clock performance. I'd never played Rite of Spring before in my life. And I rushed to the music center. We had a brief talk through with Tommy stayed on the second tuba part because that's a real important part. And it was kind of anchors things. So he stayed on that. I had to play the first tuba part. And of course I'd studied it and taught it to students and stuff, but it to really go in that scene where and uh, Zubin kind of gave us some instructions, you know, a little bit, you know, what he was going to be doing, and Tommy knew anyway, but they'd done three other performances. Well, anyway, we went out, and we played it, and I, we got standing ovation. We got a, you know, a bow, tuba was got a bow, and uh, again, it probably wasn't, certainly wasn't perfect, but it was a cool, I'm tell you, in the moment situation, okay? I've had a few of those. I've had a few of those. Lemony Snicket is uh, another movie recently I did that I had a real cool experience. Went in and we have seven, or five people, banjo, guitar, uh, accordion, uh, electric fiddle, and a uh, tuba. And we improvised for seven hours for Lemony Snicket. But we get there and Tom Newman was the composer and he, he likes to do creative things with creative people, so he he says, "Well, we're going to go to the set." And we took all of us, the musicians and the, the engineers and stuff. We all walked over to Paramount uh, soundstage where they were making this movie. So it was again a pre-score, the head of the movie, and uh, they made the music movie to the music, or they cut it to fit the places in the movie. And we were supposed, and he wanted us to see the set. You get an idea of we were going to be like a little kind of a, a off-color uh, park band, okay? And if you saw the movie, you know it was sort of like quasi 1900 or something like that, with with funny automobiles and stuff, you know. It was and it was gothic kind of. 
many ways. But anyway, so we got to, we were supposed to get the sense of it and then go back in the studio and we made up stuff, okay? So like somebody says, uh, do you know uh, Lohengrin? And I says, I know Lohengrin. So I played it on the two. Boom, 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 boom. And so the other guys start picking up on it. The guitar player starts playing. And I, I sort of, we, we talk it over and I give him some changes. And, and you know, and then and everybody's, the accordion's going, you know. And pretty soon the fiddle player's playing little obligatos. And I played the melody and that was in the movie. And we did a, a bunch of stuff like that. A lot of it didn't get in the movie, but we did a lot of stuff like that. And, and we just... Tom Newman would kind of sing a song, and then pretty soon somebody would make up some changes with it, or he'd teach it to us. But it was all done by ear, okay? He'd go to the piano and say, this is what I want. And we'd sketch it out so we had something to a reference, you know, chord changes. What, is, what have been some of your favorite session experiences, either playing with great players or composers that have been really appreciative? What have, what have been some great session experiences? Like I said, you know, I've done so darn many movies, over 1,300, and I've played with everybody. I've worked with all, all of John Williams' movies since 1990. Uh, he's recorded here in Los Angeles, and uh, his sessions are always, they're just, they're just high quality. Is that stuff you look forward to doing? Yes, and, I mean, you're all, but you're also a little bit uh, apprehensive, more than most people, because uh, you, you're anxious to do well for him. And uh, play your best, and uh, other people are not so picky, or at least not so. They, he he awes you with his talent. How else can I put it? You know, he he's up there, and you know he's a better musician than you are. You know it. <laughs> he's got it in spades, man. <laughs> and so. I mean, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the composers I work for, but he's, he's like bigger than everybody, kind of, you know? Is there a particular musician or a group of musicians that you've never worked with that you've always admired and wanted to have a chance to work with? <laughs> it would be fun being in a part of a, a really cool band, like um, Edgar Meyer or somebody like that, you know, and, and his gang of... You know, but I, I, I just think they're so far beyond me. But, but it would be wonderful to play with, say, him and Bella Fleck and those guys in a, you know, in a band like that on the, but on the tuba, you know, and be part of an, in, you know, an inventive kind of thing. I played a lot of Fender bass when I was young, and I played tons of jazz and rock and roll and dance jobs. And, but I got into it, you know what I mean? I was into the drummer and playing funky stuff, you know, I really had fun. And I think back of and I say, well, I can always go do that somewhere in a little town somewhere. But I just can't see somebody my age getting into playing the Fender bass. You know, it just doesn't seem like uh, it's not an old man's axe. Maybe you'll be the first. <laughs> Unless you're the Grateful Dead or something like that, right? You have to have been a legend. You have to have started 30 years ago before you could be a legend today. I want to be... Uh, I want to be uh, active as a musician. I, I hope I can have a, a few more years in the business studio and the orchestras I play in. And, yeah, I do have this really cool interest in writing now, which is almost as much fun as playing. So I've learned to write, at least somewhat. I've still got a lot more to learn. But 
I'm working on it. It's fun. That's a good transition to talk about your solo career, your career as a jazz tubist. Two words you don't hear together a lot. Why, why play jazz, Jim? Uh, I've been around jazz all my life as a bass player mostly and a little bit as a guitar player. I started out as a guitar player. Uh, pretty much in awe of the great jazz players and their spontaneity and uh, just what they convey musically. And then and gradually I've just had a real interest in really good jazz and you know bebop and stuff. Always stuff I can't do. Tell me about your latest CD project that you recorded with strings. Well, it's called Interplay, and uh, it's on the Basset Hound label, and uh, which is my my little personal label. But it's it's available in you know in the stores and then CD Baby and online at the Basset Hound Music and places like that. Anyway, it's uh, my most ambitious record of nine that I have so far, and it took over four years to do it one session a year. <laughs> studio in town, the best engineer, the best players. It just sort of grew. And Brad Dechter, this great orchestrator who I've worked with tons of times in movies, and I, I knew him before that as a jazz writer, and I knew his heart is in jazz, even though he has to play, write orchestrations sometimes that are never get to jazz, but he can write. So we just had a, we had a, uh, we had a uh, collaboration, if you will. It was my production, but I asked him if he would uh, write me a cool album of jazz, great jazz tunes, when we would uh, have just me and a saxophonist and a rhythm section and strings. We had one tune, uh, Strollin', the Horace Silver tune. We, we, everybody came in and he wrote it like a sax section. And Brad uh, is also a good alto player and he played on it. So we had him on alto and we had Gary Foster on alto and we had Dan Higgins and Pete Chrisley on tenor and then me on tuba like playing Barry parts, and he wrote it like that, you know, five part, you know, like super sax kind of, but I was playing the Barry part. It was so cool to be in, it was like being in the, the dream sax section of the world, you know, and uh, me being a Barry. So I, I had a lot of fun with that. Anyway, I, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Tell me about your tuba room. Most people listening to this won't be able to, to picture what an amazing space this is for your tuba room. It, it's it's truly unbelievable. Tell me about this room. <laughs> I don't know how unbelievable it is, but when you're a tuba player, you don't have a, a good space to play in most of the time, especially in a big city where you're crammed in. You know, if you're out in some college somewhere, maybe you can have bigger rooms, but everywhere else, I, most places I teach and stuff are bad and practicing. Low ceilings are terrible for tuba. And the only, the only real way to hear all the fundamental of a tuba is to have a room big enough, at least on one dimension, 
as the fundamental length of the instrument. The fundamental length of a B-flat tuba is 36 feet. That's this lowest C on the piano, or B-flat, rather. That's 36-foot B-flat, okay? And a C-tube is just a step higher, so about 32 feet. So you need a space, and I have a 38-foot room, okay? That was one of my considerations. I knew if I had 32 or more feet, it would be... It would, I would, you could hear the fundamental in the resonate, resonance of it, okay? That's very important. So this is the smallest basic. Well, it could have been a couple feet smaller. This is in a two-to-one rectangle. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a perfect rectangle, but it's basically a two-to-one scale. Is ideal for acoustics. I tried not to have any uh, parallel walls, but I do have this wall in the windows, and there was some slap from that. But I put stuff up here to help break it up, so it's a lot better. And... Uh, the rest of it, there's a balcony up there because there's a bedroom and a bathroom. And I've had little concerts in here. I have a little library room off the side and a booth. And these, uh, uh, it's just, it's good for my work. My work is when I'm not uh, uh, teaching and, and playing gigs, I'm, 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 I'm a musicolic, like I said. I'm writing music. I'm, I'm involved with selling CDs, preparing CDs, uh, doing arrangements, practicing the piano. And certainly practicing the tube and other things, and right, just I'm just into it. I got a library, I sell out, sell music and stuff, and I have copy machine. You know what I mean? I'm just like I have a music business, the Bassinon Music. Where can people go on the internet to find more information about you and about your projects? Well, I do have a website. It's called uh, BassetHoundMusic.com. Two S's and one T. Uh, or you can get it uh, JimSelf.com. I've got both. So we just put stuff up there that's kind of neat, uh, pictures from albums and lots of junk and trivia. And, uh, of course, there's information on all the music I have and all the CDs and stuff I have for sale. You can buy them online. And uh, there's, you know, bio, that kind of stuff, standard stuff, but a uh, bunch of cool pictures, a lot of some basset hounds and some uh, lots of tubas. Pictures. pictures of all of your instruments. Ma many of them some of the stories behind them. You've had some involvement in the most recent project we've been working on, the YCB 826, the orchestral C. Tell me about how you got involved with that project. Well, uh, the most famous tuba, symphony tuba in the world was Arnold Jacobs York tubas that were made in the 1930s. And they just had this amazing sound. And of course he had an amazing sound, but everybody plays it sounded great on them okay they were unique instruments only two of them made and they were slightly different and over the years all, every manufacturer of any stature has tried to copy them because they had this big sound and uh, to more or less none of them were nearly as good okay uh, some were okay but nothing so Yamaha got involved in this uh partially through me, I mean, just saying they should. <laughs> and the Chicago, they got a hold of the Chicago Symphony Instrument and they uh, made a very careful dissection of it, you know. Not, didn't take it apart, but I mean, they carefully measured it. And uh, included thickness of metal that had been played on for 50 years, you know. A very careful study of the instrument. And then 
Nobody's come up with an entirely new design for a tuba, just like they haven't come up with an entirely new design for a violin. There's a sound. And this is one of the best sounds that's come along, is that, and then Yamaha has made this incredible copy. And now it's experimented on quite a few models now of it, prototypes, to get it just right where people like Gene Picorni and Norm Pearson, who are great symphony players, love it. And of course, I've been using mine. I'll tell you how much I dug it. When I came back from Japan with that horn, I had already had taken a year off the Pacific Symphony on sabbatical. And I came back and canceled my sabbatical because I wanted to play that year on that tuba. And that's where I use I use the big tuba mostly is in symphony. I use it in some of the movies too. But, uh, and, and there's only a few of them out there. And, and the, the, this looks like there's going to be a couple a year made. They're handmade, they're complicated, they're expensive. But if they keep the quality control up and really make great ones one after another, it's, it's going to be... You can you will never make enough of them. Thank you.